Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back, or again, perhaps it's good afternoon or good evening. I am delighted to be with you this morning or whenever you happen to find this on February 22nd, 2023, and I hope that yesterday was not too confusing, that you didn't have any problem finding us. Again, if Facebook is a problem, sermonaudio.com forward slash Old Providence, or you can download the Sermon Audio app, and then you can so you can select what's called My Church, which is Old Providence, and then, well, let the app do the wet, the rest. You'll see everything that, that we have there. Um, I'm coming to you today, not from the kitchen table at the manse, obviously, but instead the sanctuary at Old Providence, and I hope that my voice echoing is not going to be a problem. I get in here and I just have to speak from the diaphragm and get it out. I don't think I've told you all this before. The very first church that I had the honor of preaching at regularly was Woodruff Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church in Woodruff, South Carolina. That church no longer exists, um, but they bought the building used in 1879. They did not have air conditioning. They did not have um, three-pronged outlets, uh, y'all. They definitely did not have a sound system. And the train came through every day or every Sunday around 1145 in the morning. So I learned to speak loudly, right? There are those who would say I knew how to speak loudly just fine before I ever started preaching. But nevertheless, you got to, when I talk to young ministers, I say, get it out there. Don't rely on the microphone. But anyway, um, that's enough of my own personal history. But I'm delighted to come to you from here, our beautiful sanctuary in Spotswood, Virginia. Um, and I'm delighted to have this time with you because y'all, as we finished with yesterday, the business that had to be taken care of, the election of a new apostle, specifically Matthias, now we move on to the business, right? The business of the church, the business of the apostles, the business of the Holy Spirit working. As we read a couple of days ago, after Jesus ascended back into heaven, there's around 120 people who are the followers of Christ, and yet Jesus promised to build his church. Well, today we see the first wave of that in Acts chapter 2, a wonderful chapter full of power, full of so many fundamental ideas. And it's going to take us a little while to get through chapter two, but that's okay. But nevertheless, we're going to get started with it today because there's so many wonderful expressions of God's provision, so many ways that we see God at work, so much encouragement for how the Lord is still working. We may not see it here, especially in the United States as much, but y'all, the Lord is working and Jesus is building his church and he's doing so by the means of the Holy Spirit. Nothing to be frightened of, nothing to shy away from. Just hang in there with me, all right? We're going to get through it together. But I am so excited about where we come to today and what will unfold after this. Now, um, let me pray, and then we will dig into Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's pray. Our Father, please be with us now as we come to your word, especially in this chapter where so many different things are happening, so many wonderful things that we spend the month on chapter 2. We're not, not going to do that. This, is, uh, this isn't a, a lecture. Um, it, it, it's not a sermon, Father. It, it's just a devotional, but please help us to understand. Help us to take heart in who you are and in how you work. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so we're in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pause, time out right there. All right, first off, who's the they? Well, if you rewind, you find out that the they is the 12 apostles. All right, it's the 11 that was listed in chapter 1, plus Matthias, uh, on whom the lot fell and on, uh, and on who they elected to be the 12th apostle. So the apostles are all gathered there together in one place. And where is the there? Well, they're in Jerusalem. Okay, remember previously, chapter 1, they were told to go to Jerusalem to wait, right? Well, now we're going to see what they're waiting for, and we're going to see how the Lord works. So that's the they, that's the there, right, in the one place. We're going to find out that the one place is actually a house, but, but that's not terribly important. But before we even get there, what's Pentecost? You know, that's one of those words, isn't it, that we hear, and, and we hear it used in other words. Most of the time, let's just be fair, most of the time when we hear the word Pentecost, we hear it in conjunction with Pentecostal, right? A denomination of Protestantism, right? a, a Protestant denomination in the church. And interestingly enough, a Protestant denomination in the church that places heavy emphasis on the Holy Spirit and on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to say any more besides that because it's not material to what we're dealing with today. But that's our frame of reference with Pentecost. But y'all, you have to realize something. The idea that, that that is the same Pentecost that chapter 2 is talking about, it doesn't even make sense. They're in Jerusalem. We know that they are there for a day that is called Pentecost. Well, what does Pentecost mean outside of the Protestant denomination that exists today? I'm glad that you asked. Pentecost was considered one of the most important festivals in all of Judaism because it marked what many Jews, in fact, I would say what most Jews consider the absolute pivotal fundamental moment of their existence as a nation and a people group. Now, the term Pentecost is used here, right? That's a Greek term. Pent, penta is five, Pentecost 50, right? Um, the Jews refer to this as the Feast of Weeks because it is the Feast of Weeks because this takes place exactly seven weeks the day of Pentecost in the Jewish calendar is seven weeks after the Passover. All right. So Passover, we know, is incredibly important to the Jews. We know that because it was by means of that final plague when the angel of death passed over God's people and visited death on the firstborn of every Egyptian family. We know that that pivotal event is what resulted in Pharaoh freeing God's people. Now, you would think, okay, well, Passover must be the biggest deal in Judaism. And it is, right? I don't want to have any misgivings about that. But something happens in conjunction with Passover that is also considered, if, if Passover is here, this is, this is just right underneath it. And in terms of events, in terms of moments of Israel as a nation, they would consider this the real first moment for Israel as a nation, Right? Passover occurred when Israel was still, or, or the Israelites were still slaves in Egypt. But when they're released, when they become a people, something happens 50 days after Passover. What do you think it is? 
You know, put your thinking cap on, right? I need a cap in here. It's pretty cold in here. The heat doesn't run in the sanctuary during the week. But nevertheless, um, thankfully, you're not seeing my breath and it's not fogging up the camera. But um, think hard now. All right. What would take place that is of such pivotal importance to Israel 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after Pharaoh released them from Egypt? All right. Your brain should be turning there to, to what you've read in God's word. And if not that, maybe to Charles Heston or, you know, um, you know let my people go, that kind of thing. Maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, anyway, played a, a fabulous Moses. But nevertheless, if you're thinking, okay, 50 days after, was it the Red Sea? That mm -mm, happened before. The, the, this took place after the Red Sea. That was right after Pharaoh released them. Remember, Pharaoh released the Israelites. He changed his mind. He sent his chariots to go get them. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land, and then, whoosh, you know, um, there was a baptism that day, and it was by immersion. There were two baptisms. Paul says that the Israelites were baptized as they made their way through the Red Sea. That would be a sprinkling. Um, Baptism by immersion is not what you wanted on that day, I can assure you. But nevertheless, this is not the Red Sea. All right, so 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 be thinking here if it's, okay, Passover, Israelites released from Egypt as slaves, cross the Red Sea, go into the desert. Aha, maybe now you figured it out. You see, Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, again, seven weeks after the Passover, was celebrated because it was 50 days after, seven weeks after the Passover, that the Israelites gathered at Sinai, received the law. It's when they received the word of God. Now, um, this is hard for us to understand as as Americans, right? Or even as Canadians, if you're watching here as a citizen of another country. Because you're a citizen of a country that has land. The Israelites considered themselves a people that were on their way to the land that God gave them. But the best parallel I can draw between the Israelites receiving the Ten Commandments, receiving the Torah, receiving the law at Sinai, is sort of like either our Declaration of Independence, right, or our Constitution. It's that fundamental moment that says, now... Now we are a people, not peoples scattered about. Now we are a people. For you see, for us, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And you know, take your pick of any of our national documents that you say, aha, that's what makes us America. For the Jews, what made them God's people was receiving the law at Sinai. And so every year you had Passover, major, major event. People would come to Jerusalem from all over. They would go back home. They would return for the Feast of Weeks to celebrate Pentecost, right? The giving of the law. Now, that's what's going on when the, the apostles are gathered there in Jerusalem all in one place. It was the day of Pentecost, one of the highest, holiest days of the entire Jewish year calendar, right? So they're there. They're all in one place, just like the Lord told them to go there. And then verse two, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then we find out more. 
verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, that last verse is very important. We find out a lot about the tongues that they were speaking in, and we find out about the source of speaking in tongues here, right? We're going to come back to that, but first we got to deal with the scene, right? This is one of those occasions where I wish we had pictures. I, I wish that, that we could hear sounds, right? There's a few places in God's word where things are mentioned, and I just say to myself, and I have hearing problems. Those of you who know me know that I, I don't have any high range hearing in this left ear. My wife says it's selective, really and truly it's not. But nevertheless, I, I, I'd love to be able to hear the sound. It's, it's kind of like when Samuel went to Saul and, and said, what are you doing? And Saul said, I'm obeying the Lord. And then Samuel paused and he said, what then is this bleating of sheep that I hear in my ears? and this lowing of cattle. Oh, I wish so badly I, I could have been there to see Saul's face, to hear Samuel's voice, but then after the pause, to hear the sheep that Saul was supposed to destroy, the cattle that Saul was supposed to destroy. I'd love to hear that. But even more so than that, I would love to hear this. And the reason I'd love to hear this is because realize what we are given in verses two and three. We're not given specifics. Now you might say, what are you talking about? It says, sound like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Well, how do you know what something from heaven sounds like? I don't know what that sounds like. <laughs> the fact that it came from heaven. I mean, I, I don't know what sound heaven makes. <laughs> that would be marvelous. And then you say, what do you mean we don't know? It says tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Well, what does a tongue that, that looks like fire look like anyway? But also realize that there's a qualifier thrown in here. It doesn't say suddenly a sound of the blowing of violent wind came from heaven. It says suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And then it doesn't say they saw tongues of fire come and then separate and come to each of them. It says they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. You know, there's only one place in Scripture that does this so clearly. And if you've ever been to a funeral that I've had the honor um, to, to preach, you know I've used this so many times. But the Apostle John, when he describes heaven, he uses very similar language to this. Okay, And the idea is, is when he talks about seeing something like streets paved with gold, but the gold is transparent, and something like a sea as clear as crystal, but it, it's not a sea as clear as crystal, it's just something like it. You know, why is this language used here by Luke? Okay, why, why does he use this language? Why does John use that language of it seems like that, it, it's something like that? I don't know, but I'll tell you why I think. I think that what is described here, what is described in the book of Revelation, is just so glorious. 
Oh, it's so powerful. It's so wonderful because it's the presence of God that's being described here. The same presence of God that if you see God, you die, right? In the Old Testament, Moses couldn't look upon God or it would kill him, right? This is the presence of God being described here. When John talks about heaven, the kingdom of heaven, right? He says, I saw something like these things because what he saw was amplified by God's glory. I think he saw colors that we've never seen. I think he heard sounds that, and I love this so much. Um, I, sometimes I joke about my hearing, but I really wish I had better hearing because I miss a lot. I really do. I, I had no idea how much I read people's um, lips until people started wearing masks. But I, I hear these things and I think about the sweetness of it. Oh, how sweet it must have been to be there in that room. To hear this mighty wind, if that's what it was, the wind, is this the same kind of wind that Jesus talked about to Nicodemus in chapter 3 when he described the Spirit? You know, it's the same word. The Spirit blows where it will. What does the Holy Spirit sound like? What does God's presence feel like? And I know that we get close to that when we come to him in worship, and I, and I know that we have experiences that are wonderful. But y'all, this is the absolute real deal, and they got to experience it. Oh, the beauty, the power, the presence. Have you ever, have you ever been in the presence of something really, really powerful before? You know, sometimes it's hearing a tree break. Man, it makes a lot of noise. I, this is going to sound really crazy to you. I remember when I was a kid, I was a middle schooler, and uh, one of my best friends took me to the Atlanta Dragway to watch the drag races. And no, I'm not comparing Jesus to drag races, okay? I'm not doing that. But I will tell you, if you've never been to one, they have these top fuel dragsters out there, right? And y'all, when you watch it on TV... It does not do it justice. When you get there and when you hear those things, you know, you're talking 5,000 horsepower. They'll go 350 miles an hour in one quarter of a mile, probably faster than that now. I don't know. I haven't watched them in a long time. And one of the reasons I quit watching it is because I saw it in person and it pales in comparison if you watch it. But when you're there in the stand, when those things take off, you don't just hear it. And you've got to have in multiple ear, you know, hearing protection. But when you sit in the stands, you feel it. Oh, it comes up through the earth and it rattles you. It makes your feelings hurt. It's so much power. And that's just a motor. That's just a car. How much more glorious would this have been to be there in that room? And not only that, for what happened next. Again, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be clear about something here. Does this mean that they never had the Spirit before this? No, y'all. We know from the end of John that Jesus breathed the Spirit onto them. They had the Holy Spirit. What this is talking about is a special outpouring, I believe. Okay? This is a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's like I talked about yesterday. God is giving them what they need to do what he's told them to do. They need this dispensation. They need this, this, this dispension of, of the Holy Spirit upon them to give them the power that they need to do what God has called them to do. And God is faithful. And he's doing it here. 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is where we need to be careful. It says, and began to speak in other tongues. Now, the, the actual language here, when you translate this, and it's borne out in what we're going to read, the tongues that they were speaking, okay, they were not unintelligible tongues, right? They were not tongues that required a translator. They weren't tongues that, you know, was babbling, anything like that, okay? They were speaking in known languages that they did not previously know. Not only does the translation of God's word bear that out, again, as we're going to see, when they, when they when Peter goes up, you see that there's Parthian, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pontus, Asia. People from all over the place have come back because the Feast of Weeks was such an important day. Pentecost was such an important day. You got Jews from all over the world that speak in different languages. And now you got 12 apostles and they're speaking in 12 different known languages. But there's something else here that we can't miss. Y'all, we dare not miss this. Not only are they speaking in known languages, chapter 2, verse 4 ends with something of vast importance. It says, as the Spirit enabled them. Y'all, what the apostles were doing there was nothing that they generated within themselves. It is nothing that came from themselves. They didn't work themselves up into this, and no human being taught them how to do this. I'm saying this because we can get wires crossed with this stuff, y'all. The reason that they did this is singular, and it is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what they did was enabled by the Holy Spirit. You know, this teaches us so many things, so many things, and there's so many implications, and we'll get into some of those as we continue along. But today, your devotional thought for the day, I just want to encourage you to bask in God's goodness, to glory in God's faithfulness, that y'all, when the Lord wants to use you, he's going to equip you. And it goes to show that the best ability that you and I can have it's availability. It's making ourselves open to the Holy Spirit. Are you open to the Holy Spirit? Before you say, oh, yes, absolutely. When's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to show you what he wants you to do? To show you what God desires for you to do? Because that's all the Holy Spirit is going to do. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son to do the will of the Father and the Son. That's all the Holy Spirit does, is reveal to you what God would have you do. And oh, by the way, empower you to do it. What God calls on us to do is not figure out the dynamic. Mm -mm, nope. God doesn't call on us to have all of the gifts within ourselves. God doesn't go looking for somebody that looks the right way, sounds the right way, talks the right way. As, no, uh-uh. God equips you by his Holy Spirit to do what he's calling you to do. And what he calls on us to do is to be open and to listen, to be faithful. So your devotional thought for today as we bask in this glorious, glorious sight is to make sure that we're available. Make sure that you're listening. And along with that, 
Don't you ever think that God's done with the world around you? Y'all, Jesus made a promise and he never breaks them. He is building his church and he's using his Holy Spirit to do it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us and we pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would be available, that we would be open, that we would listen and rely on you only by the power of your Holy Spirit alone. Power is never an issue because you have all of it. You are almighty. Let us be ready and willing to do that which you've called us to do. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time, no matter when you're a part of it. Maybe it is on February 22nd, 2023 or 2024. I don't know when, but I'm delighted to have had this time with you. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning. Maybe you noticed it was actually before seven. I scheduled these to come out at 6 a.m. So if you're a super early riser, it'll be on Sermon Audio at 6 a.m. as well. Lord willing, if everything uploads right. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful day.